Hello, I am drinking a wine I've never before tasted. Ooh. It's like a different type of wine. It's called, oh God, your friend Sophie is going to slit my throat, but it's spelled C-H-E-N-I-N Blanc. So it's like C-H-E-N-I-N. Yeah. It sounds like Shannon. Shannon. Yeah, no, so it is It's something like that. But it's that Blanc. So Shannon Blanc. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I got it because it said a semi-dry white. And I'm like, that's my, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I am a semi-dry white. So I was like, let me try it. And it's pretty good. It's kind of a little bit citrus. It's got like notes of citrus or some shit. I don't know. It was $12 in the big bottle. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, that semi-dry white is Becky. Oh, and that, um... That rosé all day, extra, extra sweet, please, is yes. is Rachel. And yeah. this meowing feline is Colby. And he's participating in Chardonnay and DNA today. He, let me tell you about this cat. He has fucking been on one. I was telling you a little bit about how Joe and I, we got this new TV stand. And for some reason, Colby just can't fucking stay off of it. Like, he he is obsessed with this TV stand. I don't know what the problem is. I went so far as um to even Googling it. Um, like why he's so obsessed with this and just fucking insufferable about it. Well, and remember when you told me about it, I was like, is it a used TV stand? Because immediately I was like, is it haunted? Ghosts, yes, but yeah. no, unless unless a ghost made it at Walmart. <laughs> I mean, maybe like the dude who was making it died while he was making it and it's haunted. Well, that's horrifying, but he will not fucking knock it off. Mm. He keeps he he'll just sit at it and stare and do that whining meow. Oh, oh that I, I can't I don't know what it is. If anybody knows what's wrong with my cat, please tell me. Yeah, because there's something. Yeah. And it's nothing else. He's eating. He's like not be like he's not sick. He's just this fucking thing. I wonder, so, like, I fully believe that animals can sense shit that we can't sense. So, like, when my dogs are super pestering me and, like, it's not the usual, do you need to go outside? Do you need food? Do you need water? I'm convinced something terrible is about to happen. So, I wonder, like, have you guys checked it to make sure, like, all of the screws are in place, like, nothing is loose, like, everything is okay? I mean, we've had it up for, like, weeks now. No, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, it could just be holding on by a thread. I just can't fathom. I mean, I guess that's worth a shot. I mean, it's one last thing to do before you lose your mind. It's just, it's so crazy. Like, and we don't like him up there. Like, Joe does not like any living thing, even myself, like, touching his TV and Xbox. Like, those are his babies. I swear to God, if there were a fire, he would save them before he'd save me because I have legs. Like, I mean, fair. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't want things like so. He does not want him up there, and I get it. We don't let them just like traipse all over the fucking furniture. Yeah, I don't know, but that's where I'm at. It's driving me nuts. Yeah, I don't. I don't blame you. I hear that fucking in my sleep. I mean, maybe you really are hearing it in your sleep. Maybe I am. Maybe that's the whole problem. Oh God! It all, it all comes back to me losing my marbles. <laughs> Well, check that because it's at least one less thing to worry about. Yes. Now that I've conveniently placed that worry in your brain. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just going to. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that's really scary. Like, what if it just comes down and crushes him? 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, my dogs have kind of told me when something was wrong with one of my other dogs. So that's why I'm just like, eh, maybe check. Yeah. Worth a look. But, um, all right. Do you have a way to start this week? I do. Okay. So you know how I'm in, uh, like my yoga school to get my certification. Yes. As a yoga instructor. So I'm learning about chakras. And okay. are you familiar with chakras at all? Roughly? I, okay, because I wasn't that... Like, I, I knew I knew about them, but I didn't know exactly, like, really what they were and what they all, like, represented. So now I'm just, like, learning more. And they're basically these, like, centers that run... These energetic centers that run along your spine. Yes. And each of them uh, represent a different... Um, a different... Um, a different state of being, a different emotion. Um, they have different colors. So what I wanted to ask you is I'll give like a very brief uh, um, description of what they are. I wanted to ask you what which chakra you think you're like, which one do you identify with as like, OK, no, I'm like I'm in line with that one. And which one are you like, oh, fuck, I got to work on that. Not that you will work okay. on it. There's no pressure to do that, but just like one that you are super aligned with and one that you're like mm, nah okay does that make sense yeah okay so your first one is the root chakra that is represented with the color red and it represents security trust and validity in our experience and our ability to care for ourselves and others okay okay so the next one up that one's right around your tailbone the next one up is uh right around like your lower back sacrum pelvic area and that's the naughty one. That's the so that's the sacral chakra, and it is represented by orange, and it's the seat of your sensuality, vitality, and fluidity. Okay. So that one's like, let's get it on. Right. Okay. Marvin Gaye is playing in the background. Yes, that's yes. If that were if each were a house party, that one would be playing at that house party. Okay. Okay. So the next one is the. Upper abdomen, right below your rib cage. Um, it's the solar plexus chakra. So that one is like self-worth, self-esteem, and the ability to know yourself. What's the color for that one? Yellow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um oh, is that the color that pisses you off? Yep. <laughs> oh, that's that's fucking hilarious. Um, all right, the next one is your heart chakra. Obviously, that's at your heart, and that's the dwelling place of the soul or the self. So that's kind of like your essential being. And okay. it represents joy, contentment, openness, and that's green. The next one is the throat chakra. That's uh, like a turquoise blue. And it represents um, clear communication. So it's kind of like the bridge between the head and the heart. Okay. The, and then... um. The middle of the forehead, that, so that's kind of your third eye, that's like your intuition. Okay. That one's a dark blue, like an indigo. Okay. Last one is the crown chakra, right at the crown of your head, and that's like your universal connection to consciousness. So that's like the spirit world, um, that's where our spiritual evolution takes place, and that's purple. Okay. So let me start this off by saying all mine are fucked. But <laughs> which one's the most fucked and which one's the least? <laughs> um, so the the openness one and the yellow one mm -hmm. 
are probably the most fucked and tied for being the most fucked. As I was reading it, I was like, she's going to say this one as like the the one that's least aligned. Yeah. Well, and like, truthfully, the color thing, it's weird that you said that. And I had a really weird feeling it was going to be that was like the color yellow is literally like like you hate for it. me. It's like a bull seeing red. Mm hmm for me and i don't know why i get so i get i rage i get angry when i see yellow it just like instills anger in me and um someone had said to me it might have been you who was like have you ever looked into that color and see what it stands for to see why it make like maybe there's a connection there okay that's a good and yeah yeah so that's why i was like well fuck me when you said that um so yeah those two and then uh it it kind of makes me laugh that the one that's like caring for yourself and others, like, okay, it's not myself that I care for, but I care for others very well. Yeah, that's um, true. You know, I, also, you know, I kind of expected that you might say that for the most. Like, also, it's like, I think it's funny that it's like the closest to your asshole for some reason. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what was the turquoise one again, though? That's your throat. And that's that's what? It's your it's, intuition? No, that's communication. What's the intuition one? The intuition one is the third eye. Um, and that one is like the dark indigo blue. I think it would be kind of a tie for the into because my intuition is usually pretty on point with stuff. Okay. Um, like I've learned very well to trust my intuition. I'm still working on it every day, but you know, usually it's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the booty hole one. <laughs> I realize it's not the booty hole, but that's what I'm going to call it. So, <laughs> wait, wait I, I'm making an executive order to this episode must be called the booty hole one. <laughs> the booty hole chakra. <laughs> no, just the booty just hole. The booty one. hole one. Okay, all right, it's the booty hole one. Terry, I demand. <laughs> this I, is the booty hole one. I demand this. Okay. Um, what are yours? So mine, it's I, when you said when you're talking about the yellow, that was really funny because teal. I've always loved the color teal, like specifically. Mm-hmm. I like turquoise. It's my birthstone. Um, and I just really like that color. And the one I most um, that I most identify with is the throat chakra because I'm a I try very hard to be and I consider myself a very direct communicator. Mm-hmm. I my least favorite thing about a person my biggest pet peeve is passive aggressiveness i hate that okay i like when people shoot straight with me and i don't have to like i i like direct like i don't i like to communicate directly i like people to communicate directly with me oh so with you because i was like becky how are we friends because i'm a passive aggressive asshole all the time not i don't think not with you not with me no, no. And really not with anybody else. I guess it's just me being snarky. It's not really passive. Like I would say it to someone's face directly. So And I like I will when it comes to passive aggressiveness, I hate it so much that if I suspect that you're doing it, like you generally, not just you. But if yeah, I yeah. expect anyone is doing it, I will be like uh, uh, drop the act and like just be straight with me because I fucking hate that. It drives me nuts. Um, so that one is probably the most, I think, um, I think that the least would probably, that could be also the solar plexus for me, the one that you hate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, 
I can see that. Yeah, because I would say like the self-esteem thing. And we also really enjoy self-deprecating humor a lot of yeah. the time. And like And I'm also not big on the color yellow. Usually I don't yeah. hate it like the way you hate it, but I don't I don't wear the color yellow. I don't think mm-hmm. I don't I don't like that end of I don't like that citrus like color palette. It's just bright and like very um like aggressive to me. Mm-hmm. So I would say I'm it might be that one. I don't think it's uh, so, and I would say maybe that and even the heart one, because sometimes like openness with other people is difficult for me. Yeah. Okay. I like bottle things a lot. So I would say those. I didn't even consider that. But I did also say everything was fucked up. So. But you, I feel like you also, though, like. I think that you are, I can tell when you're, when you are having an emotion. Like, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. And you get more stoic about shit. I get really withdrawn. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see that. That makes sense. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. I'm enjoying that, like learning about yeah, it. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Are you working on getting your shit aligned? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I first need to just, uh, I want to learn more about it, but then also, yes, I I do. There's so much, there's so much that we fuck up so hard as far as mm-hmm. like, as far as far as like the spiritual aspect like of ourselves of the world like we we fuck up hard oh oh yeah like we are so we are so like fucked as like a species like we just don't understand basically anything (laughs) no no and we just shut shit down so quickly so quickly yeah so um it's been quite a learning experience i would encourage anyone to look up chakras because i think um obviously i think they resonate have you looked at like you should look into granted you can do it yourself but i'm saying like maybe you should look into like healers and stuff because i think like going to one would be a cool experience for you as you're learning oh for sure yeah um you know get your shit straight or maybe like a like a yoga class that's themed around that would be cool too not to make i mean yes to make light of but like um speaking of the booty hole do you think if you made like (laughs) <laughs> a rod with all of the chakras and just jammed it up in there it would align everything yes rachel i do i, I think, mean it might i think maybe that's, that's like the secret to aligning your chakra i think that's um exactly what's <clears throat> going to happen so <laughs> put a little put a little healing in your hole yeah i i think you solved it <laughs> no i just you know <laughs> i was honestly thinking for some reason of uh crystal dildos because that's a thing Oh no! Um, Why does everything have to be in dildo form? I don't. Well, apparently, that like it's like this crystal. Like I've literally read this, and I, I had I couldn't believe that I read it with my own eyes that this was a thing. <laughs> but I had to like go back and like what the fuck when I read it. But it was like uh, using this crystal dildo for I'm just gonna say amethyst, and it wasn't that, but whatever. Uh, we'll oh my help. god, not amethyst! <laughs> I, I know <laughs> of all of them, that's the one I picked. But you know. Uh, if you use this, it will help, uh, you know, with this energy and blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm just like, what the, can't we just keep the crystals out of our body? Shut like, the fuck up. I bet you that's with the, um, the sacral because that's like, that's like your pelvic area and shit. Like, I bet it was something related. I bet it was some, oh, probably. And if it wasn't, they're fucking faking it. Like they're fucking like frauds. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It, I was just like, why is this a fucking thing? Who looked at that and was like, I'm going to shove it up my vagina. 
<laughs> I just don't. I don't get it. But yeah, so that was cool. That was a cool one. Cool. Well, good. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to share, you actually like alerted me to it and I read the article. Um, I wanted to just share briefly the update that has been on the news about the Dyatlov Pass. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a new article. It's very recent. Like this one is from January 28th um, of this year. And they are thinking. So here's the little like caption, like a little sub headline. Um, the bizarre deaths of hikers at Russia's Dyatlov Pass have inspired countless conspiracy theories, but the answer may lie in an elegant computer model based on surprising sources. And one of these sources they um, they used in <laughs> they used avalanche uh, simulations based in part on car crash experiments and animation used in the movie Frozen. <laughs> To determine okay. that they still believe that it was just this, um, this like this very rare kind of avalanche. Okay, sounds fucking fake to me. But yeah, and I'm yeah. sorry if you're using the movie Frozen. I they said that like that movie has such realistic simulations of snow that they could use it, like they could base their research. Maybe it really was Elsa, though. You know, damn. You know what? That's. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was Elsa dressed up as Yeti. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm just like <laughs> Well, that's a little bit more believable. I was honestly a little pissed at the it's just and it, the article addresses the reason why why I was pissed. It's because like that's just too normal of a thing. Yeah. For yeah. such <laughs> bizarre like circumstances that these people yeah. were in. So it that it's it is asserting that it was just this rare kind of avalanche that resulted from all of the different elements at play and that they found out based on fucking Frozen. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, Do with that what you will. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm annoyed by it, but whatever. I it's didn't even science. read it. I literally just saw it and was like oh i better send this to becky and then you were like i fucking i'm so mad i was like what's going on I, I, yeah and i i actually think i forgot to even send you the part about frozen research. yeah you didn't you yeah didn't send it to me. that just fucking illegitimizes the whole thing but whatever yeah i, I think they're really going like they're really you know, digging they're reaching hard yeah yeah or on the reverse end like Maybe. almost like occam's razor like keep it simple stupid you know what i mean so yeah. i don't but I, I just know. and I normally like I believe in the Occam's razor thing because it's like usually like yeah the simplest yeah uh, explanation is the one but it's like but there's so many like little details about that case that you're like but what about this like it doesn't fit right right yeah there's just way too many little little unknowns there yes but yeah um but yeah so that's it for now you have a long story so let I'm me really Ugh. long story comfy oh. drink my chenin blanc yeah your dry white my, my semi dry white yes yeah um all right so i am I, I picked this story not thinking it was going to be as long as it is and i just want to say that i feel like that's like your tagline it really is because i i always think like oh this can't be that long and then i go down these fucking rabbit holes or you know there's just so i'm also just really into tiny stupid details that no one gives a fuck about 
And that always comes back to bite me in the ass because nobody cares about things like that. I give a fuck about like nobody cares what color the guy's shirt was when he died. Like, you know, I don't know. (laughs) So I, uh, I found an article from a while ago where they used DNA to, uh, look at a skull that they were claiming was Ned Kelly's. Do you know who Ned Kelly is? Um, why it sounds familiar. So Ned Kelly is like, I'm, I'm very hesitant. Let me just say this. Our Australian friends and our Australian listeners, please do not hate me because I am going to do my absolute best to cover this story as well as I can, but it is very dense. And again, my love for detail has come back to bite me in the fucking booty hole. And I... Right in the root chakra. (laughs) Right in the root chakra. And uh, I... um, got real caught up in a lot of the details so ned kelly this is the outlaw guy okay yeah ned kelly was like was a bush ranger which i go into a little bit more (laughs) and i know right (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) so um and he is like kind of like a hero in a lot of australians eyes because of like the police at the time and like the brutality and like the corruption that a lot of people felt that the police had at the time. I have no idea Um, what that feels like. Yeah, no, not at all. So, um, what does that feel like? (laughs) And I, I just don't want to butcher his story and I'm going to do my best, but it's really long. Like usually when I write a story, I make the font huge just so it's easier for me to read while I'm like talking to you. But this is 13 pages on, um, let's just, let's just give you a real quick what size this font is uh size 12 mm. so i feel like i just wrote a fucking dissertation i was just gonna say so this is a research paper <laughs> yeah and a lot of it i mean pretty much all of it i got from wikipedia and like i'm citing them as my biggest source because that's where i got all the information in one place and so much of the information goes back and forth from different uh websites like some of it's incorrect some of it's correct so i just stuck with one if i am wrong please don't hate me please send me your corrections i will gladly address them on the next show i promise you um but i wanted to do something for you know the australian listeners that we do have and remember as we learned from the chakra activity rachel hates herself so be nice (laughs) i do really hate myself so please be nice yes yes um okay so The story of Ned Kelly begins with his father in Ireland. Uh, John Red Kelly was born in 1820 in, I'm going to fuck this up, Moyglass, Moyglass, Ireland, Mm -hmm. to Thomas Kelly and Mary Cody. At the age of 21. Irish ass names. Oh, yeah. This whole thing is filled with Irish names, uh, even though it's Australian. I was going to say, but then he like relocates to a different continent. So that's well forcibly, but yes. Okay. So, um, at the age of 21, he was charged with stealing two pigs and was transported to the (laughs) primary penal colony on Van Diamond's land in Australia on January 2nd, 1842. So transporting is what they did because, you know, Australia had like, that's where they sent, you know, a lot of their prisoners, uh, to the penal colonies there. Um, he was given his certificate of freedom on the 11th of January, 1848, which was six years later for stealing a fucking pig. Okay. Um, that's just, <laughs> to me, I'm just like, what the f- six years for stealing pigs? That's, like, holy shit. That's harsh. <laughs> yeah. 
so many of the things in this are harsh and you're going to be like, what the fuck? Like people, Uh, I feel like people like do like do hard drug dealing charges and have less time. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, So he moved to Victoria after he was given his certificate of freedom. He found work on a farm for a man named James Quinn as a bush carpenter. (sighs) It's not what you think. (laughs) He also turned to gold digging. It was successful at it, which led to him being able to purchase a small bit of land in beverage which was just outside of Melbourne. I'm going to fuck up all these names of the cities. I'm sorry. I'm not Australian. I'm doing my best. At the age of 30, he married his boss's 18-year-old daughter, Ellen Quinn, on November 18th, 1850. Edward Ned Kelly was the third of eight siblings born to the couple. Uh, Ned actually had uh, what I can see is 12 siblings but they weren't all to his father. It was later in life. Okay. Um, the exact date of his birth is unknown, but records seem to suggest he was born in December of 1954. But another fact sheet from the Victoria Library says he was born in June of 1855. I don't, I don't understand the discrepancies and why they can't find like his baptismal records because he was baptized by an Augustinian priest named Charles O'Hay. Maybe he got, like, maybe he just, like, somehow destroyed the records? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. It's just very confusing that, like, there's no record of his birth. Yeah, that's so. very, that's... Uh, In 1864, the family moved to Avenel near Seymour, where they attracted the attention of local authorities. Kelly was given basic schooling as a child and be- became familiar with the bush. The bush generally means hmm. a wooded area. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and ev- I know every time I say it, I'm just like, but that's not what it means to me. I'm going to cackle every time you say it. So I'm just going to say it a lot because it's well, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> um, so it generally means a wooded area, but not a dense forest when referring to the land. It can also mean unpopulated areas outside of the major metropolitan areas of Australia. But that's more in reference to like people rather than land. You got to get a Cal- more like concise definition. Yeah, it's very weird. I Googled it and that was the best one that made sense to me. So um, Kelly actually saved another young boy from drowning in a creek while he was living there. And the family gave him a green sash, which ended up sort of becoming one of his prized possessions. Uh, in 1865, Red, his father, was convicted of having meat in his possession that he could not account for. He wasn't able to pay the 25 pound fine and was sentenced to six months of hard labor at the Gilmore Gowl, which is like their jails. You can't have meat in the bush that's unaccounted for. You can't. <laughs> oh, fuck. That's not okay. Oh my God. It's just wrong. I hadn't even thought about that. It's wrong, Rachel. It's wrong. It's wrong. No <laughs> accounted meat in the bush. No, you have to account for all the meat in the bush. <sighs> I I truthfully didn't understand that too. Like, uh, why do you have to prove where you got your fucking meat from? Yeah, what if you just hunted it? Yeah, and it it just made no sense. Hmm. Um, so and this is such his, an old case that, like, I feel like it does get watered down because of the time. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of historians who like really study this stuff, but like again, it's just it's so convoluted from everything. Yeah, everybody. and like you can only uncover but so much. Like when it's yeah. happened so long ago, like even, right, it's hard. Yeah. So uh, after his release, he drank heavily and eventually that led to his death from dropsy on the 27th of December, 1866. 
The treatment of his father by the authorities left a strong impression on Kelly, who was likely around 12 by my calculation at the time of his father's death. Kelly's mother had lots of fights with family members, and it's believed that those arguments in court hearings might have led to the family moving a few years later to 88 acres of uncultivated farmland in Greta. The established farmers of the area started a dispute with the family and accused them many times of stealing cattle or horses, but never convicted them. Uh, 18 charges were brought against various members of the Kelly's immediate family before he was declared an outlaw later on in life. And only nine of those charges actually resulted in guilty verdicts. At the age of 14 in 1869, Kelly met Harry Power, a British-born convict who escaped Melbourne's Pentridge Prison. Power was a bushranger, and bushrangers were originally escaped convicts who used the bush as a place to hide from authorities. Eventually, that term expanded to refer to those who robbed people and used the bush as their base. They make it sound like park ranger. Like, I keep thinking whenever you say bush ranger i'm like it just sounds like park ranger like, right and ranger to me is not an outlaw ranger to no. me because we have rangers like are cops yeah which is so weirdly ironic because they were anti-cops yeah. you know so for us it's odd but um the term is similar to the british highwaymen and oh, outlaws okay. of the american west who robbed small town banks and coaches and things like that okay so that's like our equivalent Um, often they were violent and murdered members of the public and police officers. The Kelly family became part of his network of sympathizers and helped him. By May of 1869, Ned had become his protege. Um, also there's a movie about, uh, Ned Kelly that came out. I actually talked about it on the podcast during a padded room, um, because I just was like, so blown away by it. And just like everything, you know, that happened in the movie. And I don't know if it's actually real in the movie. Um, That's the one that uh, George McKay was in. And I just love George McKay. So it's called The True History of the Kelly Gang. Okay. And in that movie, they almost make it seem like his mother kind of forces him into the hands of Harry Power. I don't know if that's true. um, But it definitely just seemed like she forced him to go with him to help provide for the family, essentially. Um, At the end of the month, they attempted to steal horses from a squatter as part of a plan to rob a gold escort, but they abandoned the idea and fled back to the bush after the squatter, John Rower, shot at them. Kelly broke off his friendship with power temporarily as a result. Kelly's first real brush with the law occurred in mid-October of 1869 due to an altercation between himself and a Chinese pig and fowl dealer named Ah Fook. There's so many names that I'm going to fuck up. I'm sorry, but it's spelled that way. Um, according say, that, to, say that name again. Ah, uh, Fook. Ah, uh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, that's not right. Um, it's A-H-F-O-O-K. Oh, well, close enough. <laughs> yeah. According to Fook, when he passed the Kelly's home, Ned pulled out a long stick and declared himself a bush ranger and robbed him of 10 shillings. Fook traveled to Benalla to report his robbery to Sergeant James Whalen, who was well acquainted with the Kelly family and their criminal activities. Next morning, he chased Kelly down in the bush outside of Greta, where his home was. What's happening right now? What? I hear tapping. Oh, shit. That was me. I just, oh, didn't know you could hear that. My bad. Yep. No problem. Sorry. 
apologize to Terry. Sorry, Terry. <laughs> um, the next morning, he chased Kelly down in the bush outside of Greta, where his home was, and took him to Benalla, where he testified in court that Fook had actually abused his sister, Annie, when he had asked her for water as he was passing by. She gave him creek water instead of rainwater when he had requested it. Fook supposedly beat Ned with a stick after he came to his sister's defense. Annie and two different family witnesses corroborated the story, and due to the fact that no other witnesses came forward, the charge was dismissed on the 26th of October, and Kelly was released. Eventually, Kelly got back together with Power in March of 1870, and over that month, they committed a series of armed robberies. Police tried to find them and identify Power's young accomplice, and by the end of April, the press had named Kelly as his partner. A few days after he was captured by police and put in Beechwood, Beechworth Gowl, he went to court for three separate robbery charges. The first two were dismissed because none of the victims could positively identify him. The third supposedly failed to identify him, but they were actually refused a chance to identify him. Instead, the superintendents, which I guess were like the prosecutors, decided that he matched the description and asked the magistrate that he be remanded for trial. He was sent to Melbourne and spent a weekend in lockup before being transferred to Kinton to go to court again. No evidence was produced and he was released after a month. Historians differ in the opinion on what actually happened here. Some think it was police harassment of the Kelly family. Others believe that the Kelly family intimidated the witnesses so that they wouldn't testify against Kelly. Another factor in the lack of identification was that the witnesses had actually described Powers' accomplice as being of Aboriginal and European descent, so like mixed race. Mm -hmm. And the police said that they thought that was because Kelly was dirty and had gone unwashed for so fucking long oh it just didn't make sense to me like i i don't know so uh power often stayed at glenmore station which was a large property that was owned by kelly's grandfather james quinn in june of 1870 while resting in a bark shelter that overlooked the property power was taken by police by a police search party. After his arrest, rumors spread that Kelly had ratted him out, and he denied that. He actually wrote a letter to plead with Sergeant James Babington uh, to help defeat the rumor because it had put such a dark mark on his name. He stated that everybody looked at him like he was a snake. Mm. Uh, the informant ended up actually being Kelly's uncle, Jack Lloyd, who received 500 pounds for his assistance in capturing the oh, Bush Ranger. Fucking snitch. Right? Just fucked. So in October of 1870, Jeremiah McCormick, a hawker, which is a person who travels selling goods, they use like a little hand cart sometimes and like they just call out like what they have. Mm -hmm. uh, he accused Ben Gold, a friend of the Kellys, of stealing his horse. Gold wrote a note wrapped two calves testicles in it and Kelly oh. handed it to one of his cousins to give it to uh, Jeremiah McCormick's wife. McCormick confronted Kelly. Kelly punched him in the nose so hard that he fell. And then Kelly was arrested for his part of sending the balls and assorting McCormick, assaulting McCormick. Um, he was sentenced to three months hard labor on both charges. He was released from Beechworth Gow on March 27, 1871, five weeks early, and returned home to Greta. Um, a horsebreaker named Isaiah Wild Wright had arrived in town. Um, with this, I guess, beautiful chestnut mare 
Uh, later on, Kelly described it as being very remarkable. Wright was visiting the Kelly's home to see his friend Alex Gunn. Uh, he was a Scottish miner who had married uh, Kelly's older sister, Annie. And he was going to leave the next morning on that horse, but it was gone when he went outside. Uh, the horse didn't belong to Wright. And he claimed he had borrowed it, which wasn't really the case. Mm -hmm. um gun lent him a horse and <laughs> promised that if he found the mayor he would keep it until gun returned soon after the mayor was found by gun and his neighbor and uh you know they kept it like they said but kelly took the mayor to wangaretta where he stayed for four days it was just like a trip like he wasn't stealing it the, the horse was in their care and he thought that like you know they had permission to have the horse mm -hmm. um and uh, he went there and stayed for four days. And when he came back on April 20th, 1871, a constable saw him like on his way back and he thought the horse was stolen. So he uh, stopped Kelly and told him he wanted to bring him to the police station to sign some papers. Uh, when oh. Kelly got off the horse, Hall actually tried to grab Kelly by like the scruff of the neck and he failed. Uh, Kelly resisted arrest and Hall drew his revolver and tried to shoot him, but it misfired three times. Oh, shit. Thankfully, it misfired because it probably would have killed him. Yeah, um, this guy just can't catch a break. He really can't. Like, that. that's what I mean. Like, he, that's why I said, like, in some eyes, he's like a hero in Australia because he just kept getting fucked over mm -hmm. and over again by the police. So, um... Kelly uh, overpowered Hall and straddled his body and actually dug his spurs into his thighs so that like Hall would be injured and like scream. Eventually, he was subdued by seven bystanders yeah. and Hall pistol whipped him until his head was raw and like <gasps> bleeding and unrecognizable. Uh, Kelly claimed he didn't know that the mayor belonged to someone other than Wright and mm. he and Gunn were both charged with horse stealing. Oh, see, it's like, God, things don't, some things don't change. It's like, once you get, yeah. once you get nailed for some crimes, then anything else that you do is under like the strictest scrutiny. Right. And it's like his, his father's crimes are what started this whole path for right. him. Like he just got, he was just born into like a shitty family. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's just rough. So they got charged with horse stealing. It was later revealed that Kelly was actually still imprisoned at Beechworth Gowl when the horse had been taken by Wright. Oh, see, that's messed up. Uh, but the charges were downgraded to fel feloniously receiving a horse. So receiving stolen property, but it was a horse. Mm -hmm. um, and Kelly and Gunn were both sentenced to three fucking years imprisonment Damn. with hard labor. The horse is like it, it wasn't that bad like <laughs> it's a horse horses yeah. and pigs like what what the fuck so uh wright escaped arrest for the theft after a shootout with police but he was actually arrested the following day at the kelly homestead and he only received 18 months for actually stealing the horse <laughs> yeah Kelly served a sentence between several different prisons, um, and he was released on February 2nd, 1874, six months early for good behavior. In that same month, his mother married an American man, George King, and eventually had three children with him. The American, Ned, and his brother, Dan, became involved in cattle duffing, which is stealing cattle. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Kelly was still angry with Wright over the ordeal with the chestnut mare. And in order to settle the situation, he fought him in a bare knuckle boxing match at the Imperial Hotel in Beechworth on August 8th, 1874. After 20 rounds, Kelly won and was declared the unofficial boxing champion of the district. Soon after, a photographer took a portrait of Kelly in a boxing pose, which is one that you'll see a lot when you look up things about him. Okay. Um, Wright eventually became like a Kelly sympathizer and supported him. On which is, you know, the least you could do since it's your fucking fault. Yeah. Um, on September 18th, 1877, in Benalla, Kelly was just fucking hammered drunk and got arrested for riding over a footpath and was locked up for the night. On the a next horse? Yeah, he was on a horse and he like rode over like a walkway he wasn't supposed to, I guess, is okay. what I got out of that. Like I mean, that's walking like, with a horse? Yeah, but it's kind of like um it's kind of like driving under the influence, I guess, too. I guess, yeah. yeah. I mean, if it's just overnight and they let him go, I don't know. So. Oh no. Oh, oh no. No. Okay. The next day he was being escorted by four policemen, but he was able to escape them and hid in a nearby shoemaker shop. The shoemaker tried to handcuff him and failed. And during the struggle, Kelly pants got ripped off trying to get kelly to submit constable thomas lonigan took advantage of this and literally grabbed him by the balls and squeezed so like he gripped him up they called it blackballing oh shit literally yeah someone walked in and saw the behavior of the police and like reprimanded them like this is disgusting what the fuck are you doing Mm -hmm. and tried to break up the fight that innocent bystander got kelly to put on the handcuffs Um, So he wasn't an unreasonable man. (laughs) It's uh, reported that in the aftermath, Kelly ominously foreshadowed the crime that would eventually sentence him to death and told Lonigan, well, Lonigan, I never shot a man yet, but if I ever do, so help me God, you'll be the first. Uh, (laughs) So uh, Kelly was charged with being drunk and assaulting police, fined three pounds, one shilling. So up until now, there wasn't all that all that much that like was horrific crimes. You know what I mean? I wanted to cover his crimes throughout his life because I wanted to try and do justice to his story and kind of lead up to what eventually was his downfall. Um, The rest of this is like super dense. So just bear with me. I'm trying to skim over it and make it not a three hour long episode. Um, The Fitzpatrick incident is a pretty famous incident that happened with uh, the constable Fitzpatrick and the Kelly family. I'm going to give both sides of the story to show the difference and the possibility of police harassment and how it was likely the constable story was likely not true. And this is kind of what set Kelly off into being like a total outlaw. Uh Uh, On April 15th, 1878, Constable Strachan, the officer in charge of the Greta police station, learned that Kelly was at a certain shearing shed and went to apprehend him. As a as lawless was lawlessness was rampant at, in Greta, it was recognized that the police station could not be left without protection. And Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick, who like the Kellys was also of Irish descent, was ordered there for relief duty. And this is Fitzpatrick's version. Fitzpatrick was aware of a warrant for Dan Kelly for horse stealing, and he discussed with his sergeant at Benalla the idea of calling at the Kelly home on the way to the police station with the object of arresting Dan Kelly. The sergeant agreed with his decision. 
but warned him to be really careful. He was instructed to proceed to Greta and rode through uh, Wilton on the way to Greta. He stopped at a hotel and he had a brandy and a lemonade there. (laughs) Okay. It's actually, I know that sounds weird, but it's like important to like why his story is not accurate. Okay. Uh, He didn't find, he. I was just thinking like, that's like the original Mike's hard. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, Finding Dan not at home. He remained with Kelly's mother and the other family members in conversation for about an hour. According to Fitzpatrick, upon hearing someone chopping wood, he went to make sure that the wood chopping was licensed because apparently you had to have a license to cut wood. Um, the man, <laughs> right. Okay. The whole thing, this whole thing, you're just like, what the fuck? Like, wow. Yeah. Uh, the man was actually William Bricky Williamson. Why would you name your son William? If your last name's William, William. I, I know someone named, um, David Davis. <laughs> oh my God. I and I'm just like, Oh, that sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, he was a neighbor and he um said that he only needed a license if he was chopping on crown land. Um, according to Williamson, he was at his own land only a half a mile away from the Kellys. Fitzpatrick then observed two horsemen making towards the house he had just left. The men proved to be a teenager, Dan Kelly, and his brother-in-law, Bill Skillian. I might be butchering that. Fitzpatrick returned to the house and made the arrest. Dan asked to be allowed to have dinner before leaving. The constable consented and stood near his prisoner. Whilst the constable was standing guard over Dan Kelly, the elder brother, Ned, rushed in and shot him in the left arm, two inches above the wrist, with a revolver. At the same time, Ellen Kelly, Ned's mother, attacked Fitzpatrick, hitting him over the head with a fire shovel and knocking him senseless. Fitzpatrick stated that all except Kelly's mother had been armed with revolvers and that Kelly had shot him in the left wrist and that Ellen Kelly had hit him on the helmet with the coal shovel. When he regained consciousness, he was compelled by Ned Kelly to extract the bullet from his arm with a knife so that it couldn't be used as evidence against him. And on promising to make no report against his assailants, he was allowed to depart. He had ridden away about a mile when he found that two horsemen were pursuing, but by spurring his horse into a gallop, he escaped to the Winton Hotel, where he was assisted inside by the manager. He was offered a brandy and lemonade, which he refused, but later accepted one drink. On regaining safety, he no longer considered the promise which he had made to the criminals as binding and reported what happened to his superior officer uh, when he reached Benalla, accompanied by the hotel manager who rode with him. So this is the Kelly's version of the events. Uh Uh, In an interview three months before his execution, Kelly said that at the time of the incident, he was actually 200 miles from home. And according to him, his mother had asked Fitzpatrick if he had a warrant. And Fitzpatrick said that he only had a telegram to which his mother said that Dan need not go. Fitzpatrick then said, pulling out a revolver, I will blow your brains out if you interfere. Jeez. His mother replied, you would not be so handy with that pop gun of yours if Ned were here. Dan then said, trying to trick Fitzpatrick, there is Ned coming along by the side of the house. So Ned wasn't there. He was trying to get the revolver out of his mom's face. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was pretending to look out the window for Ned. Uh, Dan, uh, Dan actually cornered Fitzpatrick and took the revolver. 
uh, and claimed that he released Fitzpatrick unharmed. Kelly asserted that he was not present and that Fitzpatrick's wounds were self-inflicted. The person who originally interviewed the remaining Kelly brother, Jim Kelly and Kelly cousin and gang, uh, in addition to examining the 1881 report by the Royal Commission on the police force of Victoria wrote that Fitzpatrick was drunk when he arrived at the Kelly's and that while he was waiting for Dan, he made a pass at Kate, which was one of the sisters. Uh, Dan threw him to the floor trying to protect his sister. And in the ensuing struggle, Fitzgerald drew his revolver. Ned appeared and with his brother seized the constable disarming him, but not before he struck his wrist against the projecting part of the door lock, which was the injury he claimed to be a gunshot wound. So that (laughs) kind of makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's like multiple stories about what actually happened from different family members. Uh Um, after Ned Kelly was captured, he was asked by a journalist if Fitzpatrick tried to take liberties with his sister, Kate. He said, no, that's a foolish story. If he or any other policeman tried to take liberties with my sister, Victoria would not hold him. Like, so saying that he would have shot him. He w- yeah. Um, he also admitted to having shot Fitzpatrick after his capture under oath during Kelly's trial in Melbourne. Uh, the constable described a conversation he had with Ned Kelly immediately after he had been captured uh, between three and six the same morning, had another conversation with with the prisoner in the presence of Constable Ryan, gave him some milk and water and asked if his statement was correct. And uh, Kelly said, yeah, I shot him. So no one really knows. It's really weird. Um, there is actually a letter uh, stating like from uh kelly to a member of parliament and a superintendent that says the witness which can prove fitzpatrick's falsehood can be found by advertising and if this is not done immediately horrible disasters shall follow fitzpatrick shall be the cause of a greater slaughter to the rising generation than saint patrick was to the snakes and toads in ireland for I had robbed, plundered, ravished, and murdered everything I met. My character could not be painted blacker than it, than it, wow, than it as present. But thank God my conscience is as clear as the snow in Peru. So essentially, he's like, he deserved what he fucking got. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a doctor that um, said, like, he could smell the alcohol on Fitzpatrick. Okay. Um, and that, you know, um, the constable and his inability to, con- to confirm that the wound on his wrist was actually caused by a bullet, you know, shows that Fitzpatrick was lying. Right. Yeah. So he you know, sounds just like a fucking liar. Right. And it almost seems like Ned Kelly just said, yeah, I shot him because at that point he knew he was going to fucking hang. So might as well go down for, you know, that as well, I guess. So um, Williamson and Skillion were arrested. S- so wait. <sighs> Okay. Eventually, Ned Kelly said he did it. Okay. But before he denied it. And I, like I said, I don't know if he really just, at that point, he had built up such a, um, because this is after he got arrested at the very end that he gave that confession. Okay. And I don't know if he just confessed at that point, like, yeah, fuck it. You think I did it anyway. So. See, that's what stumps me. Like. Yeah. Like, why go back on it? I don't don't really know. Wouldn't you want to, like. I don't know. That just makes you look so like not credible. Yeah. I mean, and at that point, I think he knew that there was no way he'd ever get away. Like it was Why? at the very. I, yeah, but like, okay. Yeah. Maybe you'll get hung, hanged anyway, but like, 
why would you, if you want to be thought of as not a liar then why are you lying because fuck the police but like it's still to me it's like it's still your your word yeah which yeah. i get i can get it i i don't know if at that point he was just so over it like it just doesn't make sense because his his story made sense but i almost feel like he he kind of wants the notoriety like okay i'm gonna die so let's uh, let people just think that i did this so i can like right yeah which could very well be it too mm-hmm. um williamson and skillion were arrested for their part ned uh and dan couldn't be found but ellen their mother was taken into custody along with her baby alice at court in banala in may of 1878 all three were charged with aiding and abetting attempted murder Mm. then later in october the same year they were all charged with attempted murder um despite the evidence from fitzpatrick's doctor um it was all accepted like Fitzpatrick's evidence was accepted by the police judge and jury. Like they were convi- no question. Yep. Yep. Even though the doctor was like, hey, he's a fucking drunk. Yeah. Um <laughs> they were convicted of accessory to attempted murder against Fitzpatrick. Skillion and Williamson both received sentences of six years, and Ellen got three years of hard labor. Shit. It was stated that if they had caught Kelly, he would have been given 15 years. A local and well-known farmer in the area actually offered to pay Ellen's bail, but the court immediately refused. And her sentence was considered unfair, even by people who were not Kelly sympathizers. Hmm. Even a local police magistrate thought it was cruel to lock up Ellen. She was like way older at the time. Unfortunately, when Ned was executed, his mother was actually still in prison. And I'm not sure what happened to baby Alice. Oh, that's a bummer. Mm Mm-hmm. So after those sentences were given, Dan and Ned knew they wouldn't be able to convince the police that their side of the story was correct. They went into hiding and were joined by friends Joe Byrne and Steve Hart. Police received information that the Kelly gang were in in the Wombat Ranges at the head of the King River. Uh, on October 25th, 1878, two police parties were dispatched from secretly from two separate towns, Greta and Mansfield, with nine men in total in hopes of kind of catching them off guard from both sides. They were all in civilian clothes. The Mansfield group set up camp uh, next to a creek in like a timbered area. Two of the men, Kennedy and Scanlon, went down to the creek to explore and left two men at camp, Lonigan, who grabbed him by the balls earlier, Mm -hmm. and McIntyre. They heard a strange noise down near the creek, and McIntyre went to see what it was, thinking it might be some kangaroos that they could shoot for dinner. Uh, instead, he shot and killed some parrots. They cooked those for dinner. Oh. But the noise... Yeah, gross, right? Yeah. Uh, but the noise alerted the Kellys of their location. So they were dumb fucks shooting off their guns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, at about 5 p.m., McIntyre was at the fire making tea with Lonigan by him when they were suddenly surprised by the Kelly gang. Um, and uh, they told him to hold up their arms and, you know, drop their weapons. McIntyre testified that Kelly took his shotgun and that all the gang members were armed. Kelly said they only had two guns. Um, cause he had left his, uh, having left his revolver at the tent door, McIntyre held up his hands as directed almost immediately. Kelly shifted his aim from McIntyre to Lonigan and fired. Kelly shot him in the temple. He fell to the ground and said, Oh Christ, I am shot. And he died a few oh. seconds later. Oh, good last words. I-, I can't believe he even spoke after getting shot in the head. Like, yeah, yeah no kidding. Yeah. Um, Kelly, uh, 
you know, obviously that was revenge for grabbing him by the balls, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And they, uh, just like kind of, kind of strong revenge. (laughs) I mean, you know, a man's, a man's ego was pretty fucking big. Yeah, that's true. So, um, essentially, uh, McIntyre asked Kelly if he was going to be shot and Kelly replied, no, why should I want to shoot you? Could I not have done it a half an hour ago if I wanted? He added, at first, I thought you were a constable flood. If you had been, I would have roasted you in the fire. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Kelly actually asked where everybody else was. McIntyre told uh, told him and begged for their lives um, because he didn't want the other two constables to be killed. Um, he uh, Kelly said he wouldn't shoot anyone as long as they held up their hands. And he would just detain them all night because he wanted to go to sleep. And he'd let them go in the morning without their guns or horses. Um, And he promised that that would happen. And then he talked about um, Fitzpatrick being the cause of all of this and how his mother and the rest had been unjustly uh, imprisoned. And he told McIntyre to leave the police force. he asked why their search party was carrying so much ammunition and McIntyre replied that it was to shoot kangaroos. Bullshit. Okay. Yeah. At about 5.30 PM, Kelly heard uh, people approaching and it was Kennedy and Scanlon. Uh, The four gang members hid and um, they forced McIntyre to sit on a log. Kelly threatened him and said he would shoot him if he said anything. Uh, They surrounded the men. And uh, Kennedy thought that it was actually Lonigan, you know, who had called out to, for them to come to the campfire. Uh, as soon as, um, sorry, I lost my place. Just, oh, so what happened was whenever uh, Kelly, they didn't see them originally. So uh, Kennedy thought that it was Lonigan playing a game like, like, you know, Whenever they called out, I think you should dismount and surrender. Uh, so he actually put his hand on his revolver case, like joking around, and he was instantly fired at but not hit. Then he realized what was going on, jumped off his horse, and begged for his life. Um, oh. And then Scanlon, uh, he tried to dismount the horse, but the horse got spooked and he fell to the ground. Um, and then as he tried to get up, Kelly actually shot him in the chest, killing him. McIntyre thought that the gang was going to shoot the whole party and he fled on Kennedy's horse. Uh, The horse ended up being wounded and he got far enough away uh, that he hid in a wombat hole (laughs) overnight Uh and then ended up. Yeah, I know. Australia. Um, Until dark. And then when he realized the direction of the setting sun, he head off, um, you know, at midnight in that direction towards Benalla. Um, And then he ended up, it it talks about like all this really stupid shit that we don't need to know. Like his feet got chafed. Who gives a fuck? No one cares Um, about your feet, man. Someone picked him up. uh, Then two hours, um, you know, and in the morning he reached a farmhouse. uh, And then he uh, traveled by buggy to Mansfield. And then to the residence of an inspector, he reported the murders and then that inspector set out for camp um, and they found like, you know, everybody's bodies essentially. Um, And they did, you know, they ended up doing uh, like sort of like postmortem autopsies of the time. Uh, 
And Lonigan actually had four wounds, even though, you know, they said he only shot him in the temple for uh-huh. some reason. One went through his eyeball. Oh. Yeah, it was really weird. So, like, I don't understand, like, how he actually said anything. Huh. Um, yeah, that kind of sounds fake. Yeah, they well, didn't actually. F- I mean, if he had four, maybe he got shot. Like, maybe the first shot wasn't like the lethal one or something maybe yeah and i'm sure like you know the reports of this the guy was probably in shock as it was all happening so it's probably really scattered yeah um and again could just be fucking wrong um so they found the bodies of scanlan and lon again and they they had uh actually burnt the tent and stole in all of their possessions before they left um they didn't find kennedy for a while they actually found him on the same day as the funeral of the other two um and uh, they actually ended up re uh, refinding his murder site in 2006 and doing like a bunch of shit there, huh. I guess. It was really weird. Uh, the public were actually outraged over the murder of the police officers and the gang was outlawed on November 1st, 1878 due to the Felons Apprehension Act that made it possible for anyone to shoot them and there was no need for them to be arrested or a trial what? if they were apprehended. So essentially it was like... Um, you know, back back in the 30s when people were like declared public enemy number one, it was like yeah. a shoot on fight kind of thing. That is um, just that's like anarchy. It essentially gave police like p- permission to use excessive force. That's insanity. Yeah. Um, there were warrants issued against the Kelly gang and they gave them a deadline to voluntarily surrender for the 12th of November, 1878. And obviously that didn't fucking happen. Um, the bill also penalized anyone who helped them with shelter, food, or any other kind of aid or anybody who gave false information about them. Wow. Uh, December 9th, the gang held up a young husband's station um, and they assured the people they didn't need to be fearful that they were only trying to get food for themselves and their horses. Uh, the manager of the station, Mr. McCauley, returned and everybody was held up. They imprisoned the men in a storeroom and let the women just roam free because they weren't worried about the women. Uh, another hawker uh, named James Gloucester arrived at the station to camp for the night, even though he had heard rumors that Kelly's gang was holding the station up. Uh, Ned like fucked around with him and he got mad and grabbed his revolver from his wagon. Ned threatened to shoot him, saying it would be easy to do so if he didn't shut his fucking mouth, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um And then when Gloucester asked who he was, he said, I am Ned Kelly, the son of Red Kelly, and a better man never stood in two shoes. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So a little cocky. A little little arrogant. A little. He eventually surrendered. The Kelly stole new suits and a revolver from his, you know, wagon um, because they wanted to look presentable at the bank. Um, (laughs) They even offered the hawker money for the suits and the revolver, and he told them no. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, he let the hostages have fresh air. Like, he treated everyone really, really well, apparently. Um, they uh, axed the telephone, the telegraph poles so that nobody could wire to the town's police, Link and Benalla. Mm-hmm. Um, Smart. Yep. And then uh, they actually, um, the bank was closed when they got there. So Ned forced the clerk to open it and um, ended up, uh, getting away with about $700 in notes, gold, and silver. 
Uh, they opened the safe and got a thousand five hundred in paper, three thousand three hundred in gold, and three hundred dollars worth of gold dust, and a hundred dollars of silver. Uh, the total amount stolen was sixty eight ten dollar notes, sixty seven five dollar notes, four hundred eighteen one dollar notes, five hundred dollars in sovereigns. Like it, it was just you know they just came to get everything they could. Yeah. Um. And uh, I guess everything was really pleasant. Like they treated everyone really well. Like the hostages and everything. Okay. Um, so I mean, yeah, they literally just wanted money, like money mm-hmm. and goods and shit. Yeah, and to, to take care of themselves. Yeah. Um. And then eventually, you know, they left. Uh. And let the ho- the hostages were left go after about five hours. Um. That took place over like a whole like couple days though it wasn't like that happened in like a day i meant like once they left the hostages left the station after five hours when they knew that they were gone you know if Um, that would happen to me as long as the people as long as the guys doing it weren't like gonna hurt me yeah do whatever you want dude i just feel like i'm gonna just go to sleep for a while yeah let me just take a little nap thanks for this break from life yeah just Um, like wake me up when you're done you know throw me a 20 spot i'll be happy you know yeah, just keep me fed even i don't know <laughs> yeah like yeah i don't know it's yeah uh, um in january of 1879 police arrested all known kelly friends and sympathizers a total of 23 people and held them without charge for over three months what uh the public opinion started to turn on the police for this action and they were released on april 22nd of 1897 they were given no compensation or transport back to their hometowns some of which were up to 50 miles away Come on. Yeah. Uh, the treatment of the 23 men caused a resentment of the government's abuse of power that led to them condemning them in the media um, and a ton of support for the gang uh, that was evading their capture for so long. Mm. Uh, the gang held up a police station in um, February of 1879 for several days, trapping the police officers in a cell and holding their families hostage. They robbed a bank during that holdup. And during that, Ned actually burned three or four bank books that contained mortgage documents because he was trying to erase the debts and create create losses for the banks um, and essentially, like, you know, give the people their shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't realize that there were actually copies at a bank in Sydney, so it was kind of pointless. Like, Damn. it wouldn't have erased. Yeah, I know. He was, he was trying to Robin Hood it a little bit there. I know. He was like a vigilante. Yeah. Um, they had lots of hostages. Um, Hart, one of his men, actually took a watch from a Methodist clergyman at the time, and Ned found out and got pissed and made him give it back. Hmm. So they treated everyone civilly. They even had drinks with people in the town while they were like there holding those people hostage. They stole 2,141 pounds from the bank. They also destroyed all the telegrams and uh, telegram operators in the town so that they couldn't be followed. After that, the reward for their capture was raised to 4,000 pounds dead or alive. Uh, the Victorian government matched that, which brought it to 8,000. Wow. They kind of disappeared from March 1879 to June 1880. Like nothing was heard of their whereabouts. But at that point, they had some decent money. Mm-hmm. And they were probably just like laying low. Yeah. And like kind of like laying low, but like living life. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so here's where... I get really confused with a lot of shit because this is like the shootout and like uh, sort of like the beginning of the end. Uh 
during all of the stuff with the Kellys, the police watch parties monitored houses belonging to relatives of the gang, including that of Byrne's mother. Uh, and the police used the house of her neighbor, a former Greta mob member and lifelong friend of Byrne, Aaron Sherritt, as a base of operations, uh, sleeping in it during the day and keeping watch from nearby caves at night. Sherritt accepted police payments for camping with the watch parties and for providing information on the Bush Rangers activities. So he kind of like, you know, from what this is saying, fucked him over. Like he was a rat. Yeah. Yeah. Even though he was part of a mob before that makes no sense. Um, many policemen suspected him of being a double agent for the gang. Um, and the detective Michael Ward planned to bring the Bush Rangers out of hiding by spreading rumors that Sherritt's true loyalties lay with the police. So he could have been a double agent. Yeah. Um, convinced that he was a traitor, the gang decided to murder Sherritt as part of their own plan. One they boasted would astonish not only the Australian colonies, but the whole world. On uh, the 26th of June, 1880, Dan and Byrne rode into the Woolshed Valley where his house was. Uh, they kidnapped Anton Wick, a German-born market gardener who lived near Sherritt, reassuring him that he would not be hurt if they obeyed their orders. Dan went to the front door of Sherritt's hut. Byrne forced Wick to knock on the back door and call out, What do you want? asked Sherritt, prompted by Byrne. Wick replied that he had lost his way. Uh, Sherritt opened the door and joked with his neighbor as Belle Sherritt, his wife, told him to give him directions. Uh, as Sherritt raised his arm to point the way, he hesitated, saying, Who's that? Byrne then fired two shots, and Sherritt staggered back because he had been hit in the neck, and it severed his jugular. Uh, Byrne followed Sherritt into the hut and fired again, hitting him in the chest. Sherritt collapsed and died within a few minutes. As he bled out, his wife and her mother, Ellen Berry, screamed in terror. Byrne told them, That bastard will never put me away again. After ordering Ellen to unlock the front door for Dan, Byrne used Belle, uh, which I believe was the daughter, um, as a human shield, and he fired into the bedroom where he knew four policemen were hiding. Robert Alexander, Henry Armstrong, Thomas Dowling, and William Duras were the policemen hiding. Uh, Byrne sent Belle in to tell them to come out, and they pulled her to the floor. The outlaws then took Ellen outside and Byrne placed kindling around the hut, promising to roast everyone inside. He asked Ellen for kerosene and she pleaded with him uh, because her daughter was in there. Mm -hmm. And he said, get her out and bring me those, uh, you know, police officers. Ellen went back inside, but she too was pulled to the floor. Um, They yelled more threats, but then they eventually released that man they had taken, Wick, and rode off. Uh, the gang estimated that the policeman inside Sherritt's hut would relay news of his murder to Beechworth by early Sunday morning, um, which would prompt a special police train to be sent up from Melbourne. They also assumed the train would collect reinforcements from Benalla before uh, they went through a couple other towns. And they planned to wreck the train and shoot all the survivors. Damn! Uh, then they planned to ride to an unpoliced Benalla where they'd rob all the banks, set fire to the courthouse blow up the police barracks, release anyone imprisoned in the gal, and just kind of like wreak havoc in the town mm-hmm. before they went back to the bush. Um, while Byrne and Dan were in the Woolshed, Woolshed, Woolshed Valley, though, Ned and Hart tried but failed to damage the track at Glen Rowan, so they forced line repairers 
that were camped nearby to actually finish wrecking the track. They made a sharp curve in the line that ran across a deep ravine and told uh, the line repairers that they were going to send the train and its occupants to hell. (laughs) So uh, the Bushrangers took over Glen Rowan without meeting resistance from the locals. They imprisoned them at Ann Jones Inn uh, while the other hotel in town, McDonald's Railway Hotel, was used to stable their horses. Um, One of the horses actually had... uh, blasting powder and fuses on it their back their pack horses also carried uh these really really crazy for the time uh bullet repelling armor that they had made oh huh um each had a helmet and weighed about 97 pounds Jesus. they made these suits with the intention of further robbing banks um but the police were actually informed about the armor and they dismissed them as like tall tales like they couldn't have fucking done that Oh, that's pretty baller. Yeah. There's a picture of it, too. It's really cool. Um, By Sunday afternoon, the gang had gathered a total of 62 hostages at the hotel. As the hours passed without any sight of the train, the gang insisted that drinks be provided to the townspeople and that music be played. They danced with the hostages while the landlady's son sang Bush Ranger ballads, including one about the Kelly gang. Uh, Dan and Byrne got really drunk. Ned did not drink at all. Um, and he actually like played games with the hostages, like trying to keep everybody busy, um, and like amuse themselves with like card games and stuff. Um, one of the hostages actually testified later that Ned did not treat us badly at all. Wow. Um, about 10 PM, Ned and Byrne, uh, got the only constable in the town, uh, with the assistance of a hostage. Um, And he, uh, the schoolmaster that helped them wanted to gain the gang's trust so that he could thwart their plans. Um, They thought he was a sympathizer, so he let him and his wife go home and warned him to go to bed quietly and not to dream too loud, which I just think is kind of like a cool thing to say. (laughs) Um, And then... uh, if they did, one of the gang would visit during the night. At the hotel, Kelly started getting anxious because the train still wasn't there. Um, the delay was actually caused by the fact that the policeman in Sherritt's hut waited until daylight to come out and give the alarm. So the news of the murder didn't reach Melbourne until Sunday afternoon. At 1 a.m. on Monday, a police train carrying troopers, native trackers, and several journalists uh, steamed into Benalla to collect reinforcements. Upon hearing the train's approach at 3 a.m., uh, the schoolmaster that you know tried to pretend to be a sympathizer actually rushed to the line to give the warning to stop the train by raising a lit candle behind a red scarf. Um, He told the driver of the gang's plan, and then the trains very slowly made their way into town. At this time, Kelly decided to let the townspeople return home because he didn't need the hostages. Um, And then uh, the lady who owned the inn told them to stay to listen to him talk. Um, Let me see. I lost my place. I'm sorry. Byrne interrupted the conversation. He alerted the group about the train's arrival and they all got into their armor. Mm. Uh, Bracken, um, which was like the uh, constable they had stolen. He um, told all the hostages to like lie low and went to the railway station to explain the situation to police, you know, that they were in their armor um, and everything like that. And then um, when the police approached, 
they noticed a single figure standing on the like veranda, like the balcony thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he immediately opened fire on the police. The police returned fire and the three other gang members all dressed in their armor joined Ned. Uh. Uh, um, a bunch of people were wounded. Ned Kelly was actually wounded in the left hand and arm. He got a shot to his right foot that entered at the toes and exited at his heel. Oh, ow. Yeah, yes. Oh, that sounds so horrible. Sorry, I know this is so long. I'm almost done, I promise. <laughs> um, the police and the gang fired at each other for about a quarter of an hour. Uh, during like a lull in the the uh, fighting, um, one of the... Uh, lawyers or police officers returned to the railway station with a shattered left wrist from one of the first shots fired. Um, he, uh, you know, bled profusely and they actually like used handkerchiefs to try and compress the wound. Like, I don't know. He ended up having to be sent away for treatment and couldn't continue the battle. I mean, this Um, shootout lasted 15 minutes, a quarter of an hour. Yeah. Yeah. That is a long, that's a long shootout. And it's not, it's not even like, done like it's hours that this goes on granted oh it's not all God. shootout but um net kelly actually reti- retreated into the hotel after the first volley of bullets um and he walked out the back door for about 150 meters to his horse um at about 100 meters he dropped his rifle and continued and he ended up laying down behind a log until just after 7 a.m in the morning Police trackers and civilian volunteers surrounded the hotel throughout the night and the firing continued intermittently. So this was all fucking night. This happened. That's crazy. Um, at about 5 a.m., uh, reinforcements came in um, and there was about 30 men total. Um, Byrne was actually drinking whiskey at the bar and like toasting the gang and everything <laughs> and then a moments later a stray bullet passed through a small gap in his armor and severed his femoral artery no yeah and he bled out within minutes like they thought they were doing really well and he he literally toasted many more years in the bush for the kelly gang right before he died see I, like that sounds that sounds editorialized like, yeah 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 absolutely but i mean but i can also see them drinking <laughs> Oh, I can for sure see them drinking, yeah. Um, and then uh, he bled out within minutes. Before daylight, a constable found a revolving rifle and a silk cap lying in the bush about 100 yards from the hotel. The rifle was covered in blood and a pool of blood na- lay near it. They believed it to belong to one of the bush rangers, hinting that they had escaped. They proved to be those of Ned Kelly himself. At daybreak, uh, the hostages were allowed to depart. Um, they also like checked all the hostages to make sure that the outlaws weren't trying to get out in disguise. Hmm. Um, <laughs> that's interesting. This is one thing I forgot to mention. You know how I talked about the sash that he was given when he was a kid? Mm-hmm. He actually wore that under his armor. Oh, that's yeah. Like, kind of precious. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was just like such a thing to him, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so in the dim light for rescuing someone. Yeah. He rescued a little boy from drowning. See, this guy, like, he he didn't want to hurt people. Like, that was not his goal. He had every... He could have been, like, 
a, and not that he wasn't a good person. I don't mean it in that way. But, but he could like, have done like good things. If he had just been given a leg up in society yeah. and not shit on his whole life. Yeah. Um. So in the dim light of dawn, Kelly, dressed in his armor and armed with three handguns, rose out of the bush and attacked the police from their rear. Several members of the scattered police line returned fire, but to no effect as Kelly moved steadily through the morning mist towards the hotel, his armor repelling the bullets. The size and shape of the armor made him appear inhuman to the police and his apparent invulnerability actually caused onlookers to react with like, awe cause it was like something out of like a fit, like something magical, like I was going to say like something like supernatural. Yeah. Like even one of the uh, constables said, I was completely astonished and could not understand what the object I was firing at was. Um, one trooper exclaimed that it was a bunyip, which I guess is like some kind of lore thing, uh, and couldn't be killed. And then a civilian volunteer cried out that it was the devil. <laughs> oh, well, so there's one theory. Yeah. Um, with the steam rising to the ground, it looked for all the world like the ghost of Hamlet's father with no head, only a very long, <laughs> thick neck. I had to keep that in. I just thought it was so funny. That is really funny. Um, and it was just like, that was actually like a quote from a journalist. Hmm. Um, Kelly began laughing as he shot at and taunted the police and called out to the remaining outlaws to recommence firing, which they did. This strange contest, strange contest continued for almost 10 more minutes. Kelly was weakened by his blood loss. He managed to advance 50 yards or so, stopping to change weapons or regain his composure after taking a bullet to the armor. Um, and then he actually, um, he got a few good shots in, um, but someone shot at them with a shotgun. They tore apart his hip and thigh. Mm. He staggered and collapsed against a fallen tree and tried to retreat. Like he essentially said, I'm done. Uh, when the guy went to go disarm him, Kelly shot at him again, mm. uh, blew the sergeant's hat off <laughs> and uh, burned the side of the guy's face. Uh, they ended wow. up getting his armor and they like were super shocked when they realized it really was Kelly. Mm. He was shot in the left foot, left leg, right hand, left arm, and twice in the region of the groin. Although no bullet had pen penetrated his armor, like the areas where his armor actually covered. So mm. like they really truly made bulletproof armor. They did. Yeah. In the 1800s. Like I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's wild. Uh, they carried him to a railway station uh, and took him to the station master's office where a doctor dressed his wounds. Uh, the siege continued, even though he was, you know, taken because Dan and Hart were still alive in the hotel. Uh, they shot until like throughout the morning at 10 a.m. A white flag was raised out the front door. Uh, 30 hostages emerged. Dan and Hart defended the back door and the police um, ended up, you know, arresting two of the hostages for actually being Kelly sympathizers, which worked up out for them, I guess, like it helped them. Mm -hmm. um dan and hart ceased shooting um and i don't know if they caught them sorry i can't remember if i wrote that down do, 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 do. oh so they reached out to kate kelly who actually appeared on the scene to try and get uh to her brothers and the police told her to stop mm -hmm. so i don't know if she was trying to get dan to stop or what was going on mm -hmm. Um, the hotel actually caught fire uh, because they set it on fire to try and get Dan and Hart out. Um, it like essentially went up really, really quickly. Hey. And uh, 
once the burning structure, um, you know, started, someone actually tried to get in and they found the bodies of Dan and Hart and he thought they had committed suicide. Mm. So, um, yeah. So even one of the sympathizers was shooting back. So that's just interesting to read. Like a lot of people actually got hurt with all the shooting from what I remember. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like it was contained. Mm -mm. Uh, the 13 year old son of the hotel's landlady was shot in the hip. Uh, he ended up dying the following day. His oh. elder sister got a head wound from the siege and died. Um, actually from a lung infection, but she believes that the, the wound to her head actually caused it. Uh, the civilian death toll was at four at that time. Then three civilians were wounded by police fire. Um, I don't think they died, though. So that is like his last shootout. He stood trial. Um, Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, the charred remains of Dan and Hart were taken to Greta and buried by their families and unmarked graves in the local cemetery. Uh, Burns' body was actually strung up in Benalla as a curiosity. Oh. Mm -hmm. His friends tried to get his body, but the police actually buried it in the middle of the night in an unmarked grave. Jeez. And then Kelly, you know, stood trial on October 19th, 1880. Um, the judge who had sentenced his mother to three years in prison uh, was actually um, there for the trial. Um, he was presented on the charge of murdering Constable Lonigan and Constable Scanlon. He was never charged with the murder of Sergeant Kennedy. He was charged with various bank robberies, the murder of Sherritt, um, resisting arrest, and a long list of other minor charges. He was convicted of the willful murder of Lonigan and sentenced to death by hanging. After handing down the sentence, um, that that con that um sorry the magistrate who also sentenced his mom said uh may god have mercy on your soul and kelly replied i will go a little further than that and i say i will see you there where i go Ugh. so essentially like i'll see you in hell yeah <laughs> um but in like a flourishy old-timey way <laughs> yeah um well oh the pack is going wild the pack is barking um so actually, a lot of people like tried to petition for clemency for him. Over uh, thirty-two thousand signatures were gained, um, and then they hung him anyway. <laughs> uh, there was a picture taken for his family the day before his execution. Um, his mother's last words to him were reported to be, "Mind you, die like a Kelly." Oh well, that's. I mean, yeah. Um. And then doo, doo, doo. Kelly's leg irons were removed. And after a short period of time, he was marched out of the holding cell where he was. Uh, he was submissive on the way and passed the jail's flower beds. And he remarked, what a nice little garden, but said nothing further. Um, supposedly, newspapers report that his last words were either such as life or, uh, well, I suppose it has come to this. <laughs> Wow, both are great. Yeah. Uh, and then a, a warden later actually wrote that Kelly, when he was asked to say his last words, just mumbled something and nobody knows what he actually said. So a newspaper reported that Kelly's body was actually dissected by medical students who removed his head and organs for study, which was illegal. Yeah. Um, public outrage at the rumor raised real fears of public disorder. Uh, the police commissioner actually wrote to the jail's governor. He denied that the dissection had taken place. 
Um, and then actually they found out that in 2011 he had, um, there was like saw cuts on a piece of his, I can't say this occipital bone that confirmed the dissection had been done. So they did illegally dissect him. (sighs) Um, for that, that's fucked. Yes. It's the whole thing is fucked up. They did him so dirty. Um, for decades, the whereabouts of his corpse was unknown, but, uh, forensic scientists actually recently identified Kelly's nearly headless skeleton after it was found in a mass grave outside of the now closed prison where he had previously been held. Most of Kelly's skull, which was stolen long ago, is still missing. Uh, A battle over what to do with his bones ensued. The property developer of the former Pentridge prison site where his skeleton was buried hoped to keep the remains on the grounds, but Kelly's descendants wanted the skeleton returned to them so they could actually give him a private burial on family land because he has a lot of descendants. Um, There was a skull actually placed in a museum next to his death mask. And for years, they believed it was his. But DNA analysis of relatives proved that it did not belong to him. It may have, however, belonged to the serial killer, Frederick Deeming. And they're looking for maternal maternal relatives to test the DNA and see if it is. Um, But they did identify his skeleton through DNA as well. Hmm. Um, because he has a lot of family members that are still living. Right. Um, so, I mean, not from then, but like descendants. But descendants, yeah. Yeah. So that is the really botched story of Ned Kelly. I'm sorry, Australians. Don't hate me. It was very long. <laughs> no, I um, think you, I mean, I don't know. Like, I can't say, I don't think you botched it. Like, I can't say for sure because I never knew it, but I don't think you botched it. I know I missed a lot of stuff, like, but again, it was just so long and I had to condense shit or we'd be here for three hours. Yeah, that was like, like, that was a lot of detail. Yeah. Yes. So that is the story of Ned Kelly an hour and a half later. Thanks, everyone. You did great. Uh, I'll make sure to post some pictures of him and everything. But yeah, I just thought it was a picture of the uh, the armor. Oh, it's so cool. And there's actually like a photo of him standing in the armor and i don't know how they got that i don't know if it's like a real photo or what but like it was just really fucking cool that's cool though yeah so that's well, the good job that, i mean that was just a lot of information yes. i did not go into it thinking it would be but it, it definitely was the i just saw in a museum okay oh that's what i was gonna ask you like is there a museum that you can go to about this dude like in australia not like a full museum about just him but like an exhibit um, but yeah, there's definitely like an exhibit about like stuff with like all his stuff. Mm-hmm. So his gun, I think, is in there with the armor and stuff. Okay, that's cool. So, I just thought it was really cool. Like the scene in the movie when he comes out in the armor is like the coolest fucking shit. Yeah. So um, it really like intrigued me into looking into about, you know, him more. So. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah, I, you did. You did your best with a lot of information and a lot yeah. of like rumors like he said she said that you have to like pick through and you want to i hate when there's like different theories for things because you want to mention them all because you don't know which one yeah absolutely yeah so yeah well you did a grand job about that crazy kelly thanks if you have corrections let me know like i said i'm happy to add them but well so i have a padded room that i actually found um i found this um this article today on cnn's instagram like their link in bio thing and i mm-hmm. opened it 
And I thought that this eventually maybe we could do some kind of like mini sode about this or something. But this man um, from New Jersey, his name is Joe Demio or Demio. Not sure the accent is there, but um, he is the first person who has had a face and hands transplant. Mm, yeah. Did you see this? I've seen face transplants. Okay, so let me just let me just read um just a little bit of this article because it's so wild. So this says, and this is from it must be some kind of update if you've ever heard of it before, like some update about it. Cause this is from uh what's today, the fourth? Mm-hmm. This is from yesterday, the third. Oh, yeah, it's an update because I saw it when he first got it. Okay, well, okay, so it's so this says it's been more than two years since Joe Dimio could smile. In July 2018, Dimio, 20 at the time, fell asleep at the wheel of his car on Route 22 in New Jersey. He lost control and the car hit the curb, flipping over before bl- bursting into flames. Mm-hmm. A passerby pulled him out of the car before it exploded, but he still suffered third-degree burns over nearly 80% of his body. The damage was so severe that, though Demio survived, he was left without eyelids, ears, and much of his fingers. He also had severe scarring on his face and neck that limited his range of motion. The scars even partially covered his eyes. His independence had been taken from him in an instant. On Wednesday, so yesterday, doctors at NYU uh, Langon Medical Center announced that following 23 grueling hours of surgery, the now 22-year-old Demio was on the road to gaining his life back as a recipient of the world's first successful face and hands transplant. So I swear to God, I've seen other face transplants. No, I think it's the, the fact that it's face and hands. Got it. Okay. 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 And it might, I, I'm not sure, but it might have been from the same donor. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. The surgery occurred in August. Um, and it's a, there have been over a hundred hand transplants performed successfully and close to 50 face transplants. Okay. Right. Got it. Which Thanks. is what a doctor said. So fundamentally, there is no reason why they couldn't occur together. Right. Yeah. Um, but I just thought that was so crazy and like, oh, it's just so, it is so sad. Uh, yeah. God. But like, there's a little, a little brief um video of him speaking of this Joe speaking and he seems like in, like, he just seems like he wants to keep going and I'm just like, damn. Yeah. Um. So it was really cool. Like I would look into it. It's on uh, CNN posted that article. Um, and I thought it was really interesting. And the other one that I have that I just had to share because we always talk about Facebook shirts. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so Facebook shirts introduced me that account, which is at Facebook shirts. I'm pretty sure. Um, they introduced me to at bootleg world. Oh my God. Um, so that's the handle and they have things like, (laughs) They have this vest, like it's like a sweater vest, okay? okay? And it says Garfield on it, as in Garfield the cat, and it's literally the red angry birds. Oh my god. Oh instead my god. of Garfield. Uh, and then they have like packs of socks from H&M. Like, can you picture the H&M logo? Yes. 
but instead of the and sign, it's a it's an A, so it looks like it says ham on these packs of socks. Oh my socks. god, I love it. <laughs> There's a wish shirt that I want so badly, and it's a picture of Hanson and it says Nirvana. <laughs> And I just think it's so good. That's what this reminded me of was like a wish website. And um, there's one of like this like fucked up little um, animation. And it's supposed to be like Ratatouille, but it's called Rat and Louie. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. So hilarious. It's at bootleg B-O-O-T-L-E-G world. It's it's hilarious and i just had to reference that because it's it gives me joy i love it i love it that's fantastic i don't really have a padded room because my brain is shot from this story oh i know that was a lot well i had i had two so yeah so you covered me we're yeah, good I covered you i got we're you. solid there i just yeah could absolutely could fucking not right now yeah i, I kind of felt like that last week with the panama girls because that is just such a whirlwind Oh yeah, abs- absolutely. Like just so much going on. Um maybe next time I'll talk about bad tax Jeremy. Not today though. Oh, okay. That's good. There's your there's your sneak peek for next week's padded room. Bad tax Okay. Um, but yeah, so do you want to do the social media cuz I literally don't think I can talk anymore. Sure. Yes, so you can send us any story ideas or just say hi at our email. It's uh chardonnay and dna at gmail.com. Our website is chardonnayanddna.com. We have a Patreon. Please help us so I can stop using my yoga blocks as a table. Um, we have Facebook, Chardonnay and Sign DNA. Instagram, Char- what's Chardonnay and DNA? Yep. Okay. I don't know why I blanked. Yeah. Uh, the Twitter we never use is Chardonnay DNA, but don't bother because we never use it. Did I cover them all? Oh, yeah. Great. And a very happy late birthday to our buddy Rachel. Thanks. Oh, that's my padded room. Oh, what? Becky got me the most amazing fucking gift. Ah. It's such a good gift. She was so psyched and rightfully so because I'm so psyched. I was psyched Um, because it was so perfect. It is a t-shirt that's just really witchy looking. It's really cool. It's crystal ball and like the font is like, it kind of reminds me like American Horror Story font. Yes, yes. I love it. And it says, uh, my crystal ball says you're full of shit yeah something like that or full of yeah. or something like that yeah yeah and it's just uh, sorry i'm butchering it because my brain is literally shutting down while we speak i but, literally uh, typed into the etsy um the etsy search i was like witchy gifts and like yeah. that came up and i was like yep it's so good the shirt is so soft and i'm very excited about it so thank you yay you're so, so welcome so that's my padded room. All right. Well, okay. let's get the fuck out of here. I'm tired yeah. of your story. Fucking deuces, everyone. I'm fatigued. I'm yes. Um, yeah. Eat glass. Bye. Lick Russ. Adios. Ugh.